The holidays are a moment of togetherness and joy and a reminder of how tradition creates happy and fulfilled communities. Make this holiday season patriotic with a visit to National Harbor and its stunning new Spirit Park. Marvel at one of the largest American flags in the region and beautiful displays of American art. Make this holiday season the most meaningful of all at National Harbor. Learn more at nationalharbor.com dash spirit park. Luther, I think, gave us the formula for how to handle these things. It's you stand on Scripture alone and let the chips fall where they may. We're on the we're on the same side. We may disagree on certain theological issues, yeah, but, I, but I, we're I, on I, the same I, side. No, not at all. And, and look how nice we are each other. No, I enjoy this and uh, appreciate all you do out there for the Lord. It's like you know what. What are you doing? You're spending all your time trying to destroy another Christian because you don't understand what's going on when you should be out there winning people for Jesus. Uh, we're not supposed to be lion sheep. We're supposed to be Bereans. And so just to, no matter who it is, this goes for everybody. Um, you're, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of yours. I'm a big fan. <laughs> it, it's, it's true. I, I love watching you and I love hearing what you have to say. And I think you're a, a great blessing to the body of Christ. Welcome to this week's episode of Conversations with Jeff. I'm really excited that we have a very special guest, J.D. Rucker, who's the editor-in-chief over at Knock Report. Welcome, and so glad we could sit down and have a fun conversation. Glad to be here, Jeff. Yeah, definitely. And so, you know, what I wanted to do just kind of to start off is let people get to know you a little bit and hear your story, your background, that sort of thing, and, you know, would love to kind of let people get to know who you are. Sure, sure. So um, I am essentially a... A United States citizen who is uh, ready to to do more, I guess you could say. You know, whether that means running for office or being a journalist or just praying, we have the ab- ability to do so much as Americans. We have these freedoms, and I'm expressing my freedoms you know, right now. I am editor of Knock Report. I plan on doing that uh, hopefully for the the rest of my life. That's not to say that I have control over that. We all know that God might push us in one direction or another, but. At least for now, Knock Report is what I'm doing. Um, you know, I am a, a faithful Christian, father, uh, father of four, husband to my wife, and uh, and yeah, um, you know, the uh, I guess the easiest way to to break me down is that wherever there's a need, that's where I want to be. You know, there was a time when um, I wasn't happy with the direction of the Republican Party. And so we set forth to do something about it, not to change the party from within so much, uh, as much as see if we can make something better. And that didn't work out. It it started working out great, but then it didn't. And uh, the direction that we were heading wasn't good. So I left that endeavor and focused full-time on Knock Report. I've been doing that ever since uh, June of last year, and it's it's been been growing nicely. Yeah, so so what... What gave you the idea to start Knock Report, and you know what what was kind of like your idea of what you wanted to do with it? One of the things that conservative media has done over the last two years is it's broken into basically two realms. You're either you're either 
pro-Trump or you're against Trump. You know, there's there's Weekly Standard, which is now gone because they were very much anti-Trump. And uh, they became the bulwark or Charlie Sykes and his people became the bulwark. And there's other publications out there that are that are, quote unquote, conservative, but they're very much anti-Trump. And then you have the the bulk of them, you know, whether it's Breitbart, Red State, uh, Daily Signal, Daily Caller, um, Daily Wire, Daily whatever. You know, they are usually, I would say, 99 percent pro-Trump. We look at it from a perspective of we are pro-America. We're pro-conservative. And if that means that. You know, 75, 80, 90, even 90 percent sometimes of, of President Trump's policies are conservative and positive for America. We support them. But we don't support something just because it's done by Trump. So our niche, our, I guess you could say, calling as a publication is to be uh, pro-Christian, pro-conservative and pro-American. And that means if Trump does something that we don't care for, we have no problem calling him out. Um, lately, that's actually been less and less, I'll admit. Because uh, other than um, the bump stock ban was questionable, uh, tariffs are at this point still questionable up in the air. Um, his $2 trillion infrastructure plan with Chuck and Nancy, that's questionable. But then there's the border. Then there's uh, Jerusalem. Then there's you know what he's doing for with Planned Parenthood, with uh, trying to, to take down Obamacare slowly but surely, you know, even without Congress. There's positives and negatives. And we're not going to be a publication that just bows to and defends Trump when he does wrong or or only trumpets when he does right. You know, it seems that publications generally go in one direction or the other. We just call it like we see it. Yeah, which which is a really good perspective to have, especially, you know, not only in, you know, because my, my background is mostly like dealing with stuff within the church, within Christianity and that sort of thing. And I feel like there's a lot of a lot of similarities between the media in the secular world, even within the Republican side and things that are happening within the church in the sense of, pastors are just picking their team and they're supporting their guy what you know no matter what and then they're just trying to justify what Trump does or what he doesn't do and that sort of thing and it's 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 one of those things where I wish that we could just like debate the issues make it about the issues not about the people but do you think it's the celebrity cult mindset that's leading to this or what what why do you think that we're just aligning with our favorite politician or whatever that is the tribal mentality is strong now stronger than it's ever been and that's a question that i don't think i could answer in, in an hour <laughs> you know why is it happening um you could trace it back to even before obama there was a time when when we started seeing this split this this a b you know one side or the other or that really started even before uh, obama was president but when we saw what happened with obama and now with trump the tribalism is extreme. It's gotten to the point now to where if you are on a side, then you have to be just firmly on that side. I got into a debate the other day on Twitter where I think it was Charlie Kirk had listed four things that, you know, basically four accomplishments in a tweet that President Trump had done. And I, I replied, I said, look, you know, yes, I wholeheartedly agree, except, you know, let's not throw North Korea in there as an accomplishment yet because, they just they're sending off rockets. The you can't say that that we're on the brink of a peace plan with them because they're heading to to uh, Russia as we speak. You know this is I don't list that as an accomplishment. It was a fair criticism. Mm -hmm. You know that's a a fair criticism of what what the administration has done. I felt that that Charlie had uh, had included the wrong the wrong plus. I guess you could say it was. I might as well have said that that 
that Obama should be president again because the response <laughs> not from Charlie, but the right. responses in from other other Trump supporters, which is I, I, they couldn't believe that I would say such a thing about, you know, North Korea. But it's clear we're not close to a deal with North Korea. They are getting more aggressive. Is it better than it was? Absolutely. But we're not at this point. You don't say, you know, mission accomplished with North Korea. We're not close. So that mentality, you ask, where did it come from and why is it here? America has a tendency of late, and I would say that this is mostly because of social media, but you could also look to Ephesians 6.12, powers and principalities. You could look to all sorts of reasons why we're at each other's throat, where you have many on the left that are saying that things that are that are good are actually evil. Things that are evil are actually good. And, and people will say this has been going on for decades. It hasn't. Not like this. Not to this degree. Things are different today. And that's part of the reason why we do what we do, because people need to know what's happening and why it's happening. And again, I don't know if I can explain that in a in a brief answer, but we're trying to explain it a little bit at a time every day. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, and one of the things that I've been thinking about this, because I kind of wrestle a lot with this too, this, this, this just idea of... The tribalism and just aligning with your favorite celebrity or favorite uh, politician or whatever it is. And, you know, I, I kind of wonder if, to a certain degree more recently, if the conservatives are now jumping into the way it used to be for the liberals. Because the liberals, it was like, if you criticize Obama or Hillary, you're like horrific. You know, if you say anything positive about Trump, even still now, it's you're a racist, you're a Nazi, you're whatever it is. And I wonder if, to a certain degree, we're retaliating by using their same strategy. And I feel like we're kind of losing credibility when we do that because now we're no longer the party of thinking. We're now just the party of alliances. Well, it's part of part of the reason this is happening is because you have a you have a need from the left to quote unquote pull us down to their level. And I'm not trying to to make this say, oh, you know, everything conservatives do is great, everything Christians do is great, and, and anything that an atheist does is terrible, and anything that a leftist does is, is awful. It's not like that. It's not as black and white as that. But with that said, that's their ground. Um, they can combat us better if they bring us down to the level of trying to defend the indefensible, of trying to attack something that's that could be good. Um you know, basically by making it about, as you say, personalities rather than, than issues, rather than being about policies, about solutions. They've made it to where if we're going to have the debate, we have to have the debate in a way that they like. So, for example, um, you know, Senator Rick Scott from Florida, he was taking a jab on Twitter at Cory Booker yesterday. And in his follow-up jab, the part two of the jab on Twitter, he, he went after uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And his jab was just, hey, you know, maybe we can eat less meat if uh, AOC gets her way with the Green New Deal, you know, a reference to to uh, the, the cow flatulence in, in their FAQ and, and needing to, to remove cows because they're bad for the environment. It was a, a funny gesture. It, was a, it wasn't very clever, but hey, you know, he's a senator. He can get away with that. Right. But instantaneously, her response was, oh, you know, if if he was a woman, then he could be called this, that, or the other. It's like, wait, why? He didn't say anything sexist. He didn't say anything misogynistic. It was a jab at the Green New Deal and about cows. Why did she instantaneously turn the conversation into sexism? 
why is it that when when something happens you know, to uh, to a various various minorities, why does it always seem to go towards racism, even if it wasn't intended to? We're seeing this this concept of in- intersectionality is taking over the mentality, and they need this because if they if they're and when I say they, I'm talking about the left. If they're fighting from a perspective of truth, they've gotten very little they can go on. You know, um, they can't combat the conservative perspectives purely with truth because we have truth on our side. Just like it's very similar to in, in the faith. You know, uh, I love debating an atheist. It's it's fun. I hate to say it because mm-hmm. I do have the truth on my side when I'm speaking from a Christian perspective. Where there's challenges, and I'm sure you get to face this on a regular basis, is when Christians are debating Christians, when conservatives are debating conservatives, when we're trying to figure out, you know, which direction is this, you know, is it Calvinism, is it, is it you know, pre-trib rapture, post-trib rapture, is it, are we supposed to be social justice warriors, or are we supposed to be, you know, uh, I'll let you handle that, that aspect of it, <laughs> but when we're debating each other, we have to fight from within a, a, a truth. Whereas the left and uh, the atheists and other religions, they're debating from a perspective of bringing us down to a level where the truth doesn't really matter, where it's about opinions, where it's about feelings, where it's about emotion. And frankly, we can lose those battles. We'll never lose a battle if we're fighting based on truth. Right, right. And what's interesting to me about, especially about the left and the intersectionality and that sort of thing and how it isn't rooted in truth, like... I, I always wonder, do you feel like they they think that they're rooted in truth and they're just naive, or do you think that they know what they're doing? Like, is this like an intentional thing, or is this an unintentional just consequence of their intersectionality? Again, if we only had more than a few hours. <laughs> so um, there are definitely people who have been, quote-unquote, indoctrinated. There are people who have been led to believe that, that one way, their way is right, even despite the truth. And I've seen this with, you know, I talk to, to people, progressives all the time, um, whether on Twitter, people that I know. I, I like to keep a friendly relationship with, with progressives as, as long as I can uh, <laughs> because uh, I need the insight. I do need to know what, what are they thinking and why. Um, the leadership, I believe, does know exactly what they're doing, and that's why they do it the way they do. You look at the Justice Democrats, for example. I don't know how familiar you are with them, but they're basically the the power behind uh, AOC, they're the power behind um, a lot of the the rising stars in the Democratic Party. They do realize, and I, I firmly believe this because these are very intelligent people, they do realize that many of the things that they're pushing are wrong, but they're pushing it from the same perspective that, for example, Trump, when he said, <clears throat> you know, uh, we're going to build the wall and Mexico's going to pay for it, he didn't really think that Mexico was going to write a check. You know, but he thought, let's start here. Let's get elected. Let's get the wall built. Uh, work out trade deals, and you know, technically, Mexico will pay for it through that. I, maybe he was thinking they were going to write a check. Who knows? Right. But the point is that both sides do tend to take it from an extreme, and, and extremism is working today. You know, if you want to get attention as a freshman congresswoman, that's how you do it. If you want to get attention as a presidential candidate among the 22 Democrats that have declared. You either have to be Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders, or you have to be crazy left. You have to be radical. And that's what gets attention. They, they do realize, these leaders on the left do realize that what they're saying many times is not tenable. It's not something that they could actually ever accomplish. But it's better to throw it out there 
and get the people juiced up. But here's the problem with social media and with the internet in general and social media in particular, things are permanent. You know, you can't, it's not as easy to walk back or to, to lurch to the left for the primaries and then, you know, kind of ease back to the center for the general election. They're going to be held accountable to what they say and what they're doing now. And that's the most terrifying aspect of this coming election is knowing that these, a lot of these candidates are going forth with ideas that are just, just crazy. Okay. They they cannot happen. They cannot be done. And yet they're pushing for it because they know that's what it's going to take to get them that nomination. And when the time comes for them to actually try to enact this, let's say that one of them does become president, Lord help us. Yeah. Well, you know, so so what what's the solution? Because I feel, you know, like you were saying, we're extremely polarized. The people that get all the attention are the extreme left and the extreme right. You know, the people that are that are not necessarily working across the aisle or partnering or being more moderate or something like that. So what's the solution from if we're going to be pushing our conservative values and Christian values? How do we do that where we can actually accomplish something and not just talking just to get attention? So the answer to that is probably going to be unpopular. Um, But it's something that I've thought about off and on. uh, Well, I shouldn't even say off and on. Pretty constantly for about three or four years now. I pray about it. I've analyzed it, talked to people about it. You're looking for a solution that will bring us perhaps back to the middle. I don't think that's ever going to happen. Not and when I say ever, you know, catastrophe can change anything. Right. You know, it's, right. I mean, one the the next nine eleven could could get everybody all kumbayaing again. You know, who knows? But as far as where we're to go now, and this ties into both conservatism and Christianity, we have to hold our ground, and that means you know there is no. Let's meet in the middle. That means this is the way it needs to be, and this is our perspective. We need to push that perspective hard. That does not mean that we have to go all radical with our perspectives. We have to have honest, honest perspectives, honest policies that we promote, honest um, evangelical. See, I don't even want to to say that because um, it's not about honesty. It's more about a few years ago, I had a debate with um, a very famous, uh, well, relatively famous producer of Christian movies. And I remember it very vividly because that was the day that I, a lot of things changed in my life, a whole different story. But we were sitting out there in Malibu, staring out of the water and basically debating what he believed, what, what he called Flintstone Vitamins Christianity. He said, look, you know, we've got to, we can't just take the hypodermic needle and, and, and stick the gospel into people and, and fire and brimstone. We have to, we have to kind of, you know, coax them in and, and, you know, show them that the Christianity can be fun and, and that it's, yeah, and I'm just like, no, we can't, we need the hypodermic needle. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is not a matter of let's get a bunch of people, uh, eating the, the Flintstone vitamins of, of Christianity. This is about let's let's get the gospel out there, and some will accept it, some will run away because they're scared of needles. But it's our job to go pursue them. The same thing can be said from a political perspective. We cannot sit back and say, okay, well let's 
you know, they're going radical left. So we're, we've got to kind of go to the middle and, and, you know, take the, try to take the sensible people and, and pull them over to the right. No, we have to be firm with what we believe is true, because if it's not true, if it can be tinkered with, then it can't be the real truth. The truth is always going to be firm. It's always going to be rigid. And in many times, it's going to be unpopular. But that unpopular truth, especially in today's society, is what must be put out there. Because if we stop doing that, then we're, we're abandoning our principles. We're not actually putting forth the, the, tr- the real truth, I guess you could say. So the answer to your question is stick to our guns, I guess is the too long didn't read version. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you, now, now do you think, because there's been a lot of talk about having a third party from the more conservative or libertarian side and that sort of thing. Do you feel like we should be pursuing that? Should we be trying to fix the Republican Party from within? Like, how, as Christians, how do, we, how do we decide, okay, what's the best strategy to move forward? Back in uh, July of 2015, we, I put out a feeler on one of my websites about, look, is there actual interest in a new party, a truly conservative party? And the interest was, it blew me out of the water. I had, I, I had intended to reply to everybody manually, big mistake, because <laughs> there were so many, so many replies. It took, uh, it took days to finally get to get through all of them with one sentence replies and, and real quick, real quick posts. Um, Hundreds turned into thousands, thousands turned into tens of thousands. And by the time we launched a new political party, I thought, we've got so much momentum, so much steam, nothing could possibly stop us. But then when you look at the the ceiling, I guess you could say, um, you know, breakaway velocity, you know, to have a valid political party, you need to be able to take to take your, your party and launch it into space. It's got to basically break... Break the, through the atmosphere, break the break through gravity, and get into orbit. There's two parties that are like that today: the Democrats and the Republicans. Mm-hmm. And if you can build a a good jet, we'll say, you know, it's a seven seven forty seven, not a seven thirty seven, a seven forty seven. Take it up there, you can get really close, and that's such an accomplishment. You know, I would say the Libertarian Party has built, you know, maybe a little bit of a rickety, but still a a seven forty seven that's flying up there. But it has zero chance of actually breaking through the atmosphere and ever getting into space. So you ask what the solution is. I've gone down the road of a new political party. I now believe that that was a mistake. I believe that our future must be with the Republican Party. And it must be to take essentially what the Tea Party tried to do, but do it in a way that is a lot more, number one, organized. Number two... Um, not designed to make money for people mm-hmm. because I think the Tea Party was kind of kind of captured and turned into a a money making scheme for for some. I'm not going to name names, but but uh, a lot of the money that was donated to the to quote unquote Tea Party conservatives never actually made it to them. Um, there was there was a lot of a lot of bad with the Tea Party. Not again, not the principles, not the the people that were that were contributing, that were going to rallies, they were great. I was one of them. Mm-hmm. But the people that were trying to use this to change the, the GOP from within, the reason they failed, they had temporary success, but they failed because they went off mission. We do need a movement that will stay on mission 
and then we'll actually stay focused on the idea of picking and choosing who we're going to go after, how do we fix the Republican Party from within so that we can actually fix America from within. I mentioned the Justice Democrats. That's exactly what they're doing from the opposite perspective. You know, I mean, Joe Crowley in New York, in the Bronx, he didn't even really address his competitor in the primaries because he thought there was zero chance. I mean, the guy had been elected 10 times in a row. He was loved. They, they loved him there. Why would he have to worry about a primary candidate? The Justice Democrats smacked him around. And next thing you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is embedded in a, in a uh, congressional district where she basically cannot lose. I mean, she, if she wants to be a congresswoman in that district for the next 60 years, which I guess would make her 89, but hey, it's, <laughs> it happens. It's politics. Yeah. But if she wanted to, she probably could because they went out there and did it the right way, the way the Justice Democrats did it. I'm, I'm not saying their tactics were wrong. Ugh. Don't even get me started. I could talk for two hours about the uh, the bad things that they've done, but at least their strategy was very good, and it's working. Yeah. The Republican Party needs something very similar. Yeah, and so, well, I think the thing is, is like from, again, a Christian conservative perspective, we clearly understand that the Democratic Party does not fit our values at all, right? right? And we're talking about how, okay, how do we fix the Republican Party? What are some of the specific issues that you feel like the Republican Party needs to fix if we're going to bring it back to the principles that Christians and conservatives can stand by? Number one, abortion cannot be simply a campaign promise, okay? Being pro-life is is part of life. It's part of It's part of real action. You can't just say... You know, we're going to fight you know, abortion by shooting down certain bills. That's We're seeing it at the state level, but at the national level and the state level and the local level, this needs to be something that Republicans attack full force because the Democrats have already they, – they've got the, the – they've taken the uh, – I don't want to say high ground, but they've taken – they're better prepared. They've consolidated their attacks on the uh, pro-life movement into – at, at every level, they're hitting us, okay? They're in, when they can win, like they could in New York, they're, they're organized and they're coming at it hard and they're, they're passing insane bills. Where they have no power, like in um, Alabama or Georgia, they're still making waves. They're still getting the publicity that they want um, and getting Hollywood involved and getting, getting the, the press involved. Their, their unified stance on abortion is so far ahead of what the Republicans are. The Republicans are, are all saying pro-life, but what does that mean? You know, does it mean heartbeat bill? Does it mean, you know, life begins at conception? Does it mean, you know, just getting rid of the third trimester or late-term abortions? Repu Republicans are all over the board. We have to pick a stance on that, and we must make that stance known, and we, we have to, to go after it. And, and that's, when I say stance, it doesn't mean that everybody has to believe in that, but that has to be the ba a baseline. In other words, here's the line. We will not cross it. You know, it's, we'll call, say the heartbeat. Right. Um, heartbeat is, is the line we're not going to cross. Hey, if you want to take it all, if you're a Republican that wants to take it all the way down to conception, great. You know, so be it. Um, if you want no exceptions at all, awesome, so be it. But we're not going to cross that line. We're not going to make it 20 weeks or third trimester. We're, we're, we're sticking right here. And this is where the party stands because the Democrats have already done that. Um, other issues, when it comes to you know, the, the biggest divide, and this has been the case since really the 60s, the biggest divide in the Republican Party from a, from a foreign affairs perspective has always been, are we 
You know, are we the police or not? That is something that we need to, to figure out very quickly. And I think we've done a very good job so far. But when you still have, you know what, I'm not even going to go down that road because that's, that's a, a whole other, whole other topic. Let's stick to the easy stuff. Healthcare. Um, I don't know if there necessarily needs to be a consolidation of healthcare, but we need to have a, a federalist approach to just about everything that they're trying to. Basically, if the Democrats say that something needs to be nationalized and we know that it doesn't, we need to address it from that perspective. And we're not. Republicans, and especially in D.C., have not been doing that. Uh, take Obamacare, for example. This should have been a no-brainer. You know, that they for six years, they had the mandate. They got it in 2010, 2014, 2016. People were saying they didn't like Obamacare. They didn't like what it was doing. But they lost the initiative because they were fumbling around with, you know, should it be a variation of Obamacare? Should it be repeal and replace? You know, what exactly is it? Keep in mind, in 2015, it was a no-brainer. They were able to pass a clean repeal and put it on President Obama's desk. You know, then 2017 comes around. Same people. They could have passed the exact same thing, except they couldn't have because it was a bluff. Yeah. Because the only reason they put it on Obama's desk is because they knew he would veto it. You know, if they put it on Trump's desk and he signed it, it's like, oh, crap, what do we do now? <laughs> we didn't really yeah. want that. Um, they need to decide and come up with a plan that is state-based because that's where healthcare belongs. You know, this is where this belongs in individuals with health insurance. I, as much as I don't like the health insurance industry, it's necessary. Mm-hmm. And it's something that, that we need. You know, you, you could look in, uh, um, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the show Killing Eve. It's a no. show. It's, it's actually really good. I hate to admit it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like television. Yeah. But this is one that my wife got me into and it's really good. But it's funny because in the show, one of the one of the uh, main characters, um, I won't spoil it for anybody, but he, he goes bad and he explains that, look, you know, my, my wife was sick and there was, there's treatment that just wasn't available to me. You know, I had to get private insurance because the, the insurance that I'm given even as a high-ranking government employee couldn't, couldn't get my wife the treatment that she needed. And I don't think it was a meant as an attack, but it was it was meant as a justification for why this bad guy ended up betraying everybody. But uh, but it's funny because that's the truth. You know, private insurance is what they need. This market of even in places where insurance is or where healthcare is given for free to whoever wants it, free to whoever wants it. This burgeoning market of health insurance is insanely popular now. People are wanting to buy it more and more. There was a PragerU uh, video about this that really pointed to, to the truth that if you bring this nationalized healthcare to America the way that, that it is in other places where it's allegedly successful, you take away private insurance, that's the death knell. That's the, that's the end because people need to be able to pick and choose what they do. The Republican Party has gotten away from that. We've gotten into hemming and hawing about how to fix this and tweak that. It needs to be an overhaul. Um, that's just two issues. I could go on for 60 more issues if you'd like, but I think... Yeah, well, well, like, you know, because we're talking about, like, a little bit about, like, Obamacare and that sort of thing, and, you know, like you were saying, that, fir- that first repeal, the clean, that clean bill that they passed, that was, that was a bluff. And so, so do, does the Republican leadership want a nationalistic health care, or are, are they just scared of the effects of repealing it? So... trying to say how, uh, how much I can say. Um, I had a meeting with a 
um, a ranking member of the Republican Party in Congress uh, a few months before, before uh, Obamacare. And the analogy that he used was um, <laughs> if, if you've got a knife stuck in your back, you don't just pull it out. Um, you could actually do more harm than good by, by pulling the knife out. Um, and I understood what he was saying, but I countered with great, then let's get a surgeon. <laughs> let's get, let's get this person on the table. Let's, uh, isolate the wound. Let's get a surgeon there and, and some nurses and, and let's get the knife out, you know, slowly and, and surely methodically, you know, whatever, but let's get the knife out because basically what you're saying is uh, if the knife's there, you don't just pull it out or you don't just leave it there indefinitely either. And, you know, he had to acknowledge that, that that's the good point. The bluff they did was um, it's not so much that they fear what would happen if they, um, well, maybe they do, but they shouldn't. They should not fear what would happen if we do have a clean repeal, if Obamacare is removed, because the market will fix it. Will there be rough spots? Absolutely. You know, but you have to repeal it and then be ready to fix things that, that arise. You know, people are saying, well, if you repeal it, then people with, with uh, um, pre-existing conditions are going to fall through. Don't let them. Okay? Be ready to protect them. Mm -hmm. If you need to pass legislation, if you need to pass basically a, um, an Obamacare repeal safety net bill, do that. Pass that bill and say, look, we're going to repeal Obamacare, but we're going to make sure that, that nothing catastrophic happens. We don't want people dying. Right. We don't want people not getting treatment because of the repeal. So we're going to pass this temporary bill. We're going to then repeal Obamacare. And then we're going to, to establish something that's going to, to work for everybody. You know? And we're going to do this methodically. We're going to do this with a, with a plan in place. Um, you know, but, but that's not what they want to do. I don't want to get into the money aspect of it. I don't want to get into the you know, conspiracy theories about the pharmaceutical industry owning different people. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. I don't know. But the bottom line is when they did pass the bill in 2015, they passed it knowing that it would be vetoed. And there was zero chance they were going to even attempt to pass it in 2017, now with Trump as president. Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting is as you're, as you're kind of talking and you're talking about like, how all these things are playing out and and how the Republican Party is constantly responding. It's interesting to me how the it's the Democratic Party that are pushing their values and they're pushing their agendas. And then it seems like it's the Republican Party that's just responding to the Democratic Party's agenda constantly. And I wonder if that, to a certain degree, is why they're just running circles around us is because we're just constantly reacting to all these different issues as opposed to we're putting forth our strong agenda and actually talking ideas and and what we actually want to accomplish. Like, do you feel like maybe that's part of the problem too? It's a huge part of the problem. The, what is the GOP agenda? What is the Republican agenda? We can say secure the border. I think everybody's uh, fairly unified on that concept, you know, right. uh, at least on the Republican side. And I would say a lot of Democrats are coming, coming around. There was a uh, report in uh, New York Times the other day, or yesterday, uh, basically said, look, give Trump the money, just not for the wall. They're acknowledging that there's a problem. They're acknowledging that the the crisis at the border that there's there's thousands of people every day that are coming across, being released into the the interior. We can all mostly agree on that one. 
well, what else? What else is there? What is what is our what is our Green New Deal? Yeah. You know, what is what is our Medicare for all? What is the the grand plan that the Republican Party has to fix problems? There is none. Yeah. And that's, you know, we don't have my push for um, building the American conservative movement is designed to, again, in many ways, mimic what the Justice Democrats did. But it's also to help what's already there, the pre-existing Republicans that are already in office, that are already <clears throat> not just in D.C., but but at the state and local level, to get people thinking along the lines of, let's not just be Republicans for the sake of being a Republican. Let's not just be conservatives so we can sit back and laugh at laugh at uh, progressives. Let's actually put forth plans because we've got – it's not that these, these ideas don't exist. It's that nobody's latching onto them. Um, term limits. Look, 73, 74% of Americans believe in term limits for, for Capitol Hill. And you've got a couple of, of Republicans that are up there saying, yes, we should do this. Here's a plan. But it stops there. You know, this is something that could be a humongous rallying cry. You know, look, we believe in this as a party. We believe in term limits. We're going to push it forward. Is it going to hurt us as individuals? You know, Mr. Uh, Eight-term senator? <laughs> yeah, okay. So it's going to hurt us as individuals. But if any party is going to step up and do what's right, let's make it us. Because the very worst thing that could ever happen, the, the death of the Republican Party, is if the Democrats put forth a term limit bill. And they will. And if it passes suddenly you know our initiative is gone we were we were the guys who were trying to hold on to power indefinitely and to to build up the swamp so to speak um they need to act quickly you've got the whole balance <clears throat> balanced budget amendment which has been you know off and on for for four decades now it's is it ever going to happen who knows but until it does let's balance the budget you know Let's well when we have the power, why do we put forth budgets that are higher than many of Obama's budgets? You know, the last two years the budgets have gone up. Why? That's inexcusable. You know, Trump says Congress, Congress says says Democrats, everybody's pointing fingers, nobody's saying, look, it cannot be. Nobody's saying we must not do this. Because there is no grand plan. There is no Green New Deal for the Republican Party. They could make one. There are ideas out there. There are things that they can do, but they're scared in one way. And let's face it, they have built up the majority that they did in 2016. This majority was not built on their ideas. It was built on attacking the Democrats' ideas. And I think in many ways they were, they've grown complacent. This has been their, their uh, I guess, easy ride. And now that, now that they've lost that, that ticket, they don't know how to react. It's, it's a little bit scary. Yeah, no, it it really is, and and I feel like you know now we're getting into this point now where we should be pushing our ideals, but then you've got the media that's completely controlled left. You got the social media companies that are completely controlled left, and so it's like now that we should actually be putting out our ideals that we should have been talking about four, eight, twelve years ago. It's like now what now what are we supposed to do? I mean, at least with the Tea Party, you had rallies that were going on, and people were showing up, and they were getting together and hearing somebody speak and talking about the principles but but now it seems like that's kind of lost to a certain degree i think so so now we're, so now we're here what what do we do now we have to unify um one of the reasons why 
I'm always very clear with Knock Report being um, independent and unbiased. And, and when I say unbiased, I'm not saying we're, we're not biased. I'm saying we're not controlled. We're not uh, we're not a GOP uh, shill. We're not going to sit there and just just uh, rant about about um, Obamacare and then do nothing about it. We're not going to sit there and say and, and bow to Trump or bow to any Republican. I shouldn't just say, single out Trump. You know, we have we have um, on the same days we've had positive and negative articles about individual Republicans appearing basically side by side, mm-hmm. not intentionally, just just that's how it happened. Right. You know, I remember one day <laughs> it was funny because. Um, I won't say who, but a, a particular senator um, uh, had a. We had, I, I had actually posted an article that was favorable about him, and he uh, he's not he's not very active on Twitter, but he did retweet that. And then I noticed that about 20 minutes later, he'd taken it down. I'm wondering why. And I looked, and I noticed that that the article that was in favor of him, if you scroll down three articles, <laughs> there was a. An article attacking him. It's like, okay, uh, so yeah. be it. Yeah. Yeah. But that's that kind of um, that kind of I guess you could say editorial editorial freedom is necessary because right now, like I said, there is no unifying idea. There is no Green New Deal for the right. So we have to be able to number one push conservative pro American principles, no matter where they come from. If if a Democrat does it, so be it. If if a if it's going to be a Republican, great. An independent libertarian, I don't care. You know, um, if the idea is sound, let's push it. You know, I've been been watching very closely Howard Schultz. Mm-hmm. Who knows? You know, he said uh, at least a handful of things that are that are decent, better than than uh, what his the, the Democrats have been saying. So we'll see if, if there's anything there. there. There won't be. I'm not saying from an election perspective. I'm not suggesting that we would vote for him, but he might have some good ideas. I'd like to hear them. I'd like to hear from anybody. But once we start handling this from a a perspective of of honesty with ourselves, then we have to get aggressive. And the aggression cannot just be anti-Democrat. The aggression can't just be anti-Nancy Pelosi, anti-Chuck Schumer, anti-AOC, anti-Bernie or Beto or or Biden or Buttigieg. (laughs) I mean, all the various Bs out there. Exactly. It can't just be against them. We have to have something of our own. Um, so again, like I said, I keep mentioning the American conservative movement. It's not there yet, but when it's there, I do believe that this is exactly what America needs. America needs a thoughtful, consolidated, unified approach to putting out truly big ideas. And, and big, big doesn't have to be more um, more of anything. It doesn't have to be like the Green New Deal. Big could be the exact opposite. Big could be dramatic reductions in government. As a matter of fact, it should be. You know, big can be be an idea, for example, getting rid of the, the Department of Education. There is no reason for it to be there. There is no benefit from it being there. People say, oh, but you, you hurt education. No, you would be helping education. If you took the Department of Education, got rid of it at the federal level, empowered the states, local jurisdictions, counties and cities, and most importantly, the parents and teachers to have much more of a say in how our our children are taught, and you gave them a quarter of the funding that you're currently giving to the Department of Education today, the results would be tremendous. The results would be so much better than they are right now, it's not even funny. The results would go back to what they were back in the days when American education was the best. And those days happened to be before Jimmy Carter gave us the Department of Education. Ideas like that can unify the not just the uh, conservative movement, not just the Republican Party, but can unify 
basically any thoughtful Americans who are not you know, ready to, to give up their cows and their cars and their, uh, and their planes. You know, any thoughtful American who doesn't want to, who doesn't think it's right for anybody, whether they make, you know, $20,000 a year, $200,000 a year, or $200 million a year for anybody to pay 60, 70, 80% in taxes. You know, I would say that's a majority. And, and while, let me, let me clarify that, that's not a majority today. The majority would do believe in hosing the rich, even Republicans in many cases. Mm-hmm. But we can reverse that trend if we get the information out there. A lot of this just comes down to knowledge. And again, going back to what I said earlier, we have to focus on the truth. We have the truth on our side. Let's keep that. Let's roll with that. Forget this attacking yeah. the other side all the time. Yeah. Well, you know, what's in- what's interesting is that we have we have that, you know, like the online group, the, in- the intellectual dark web guys, you know, like the Joe Rogans, the Dave Rubens, the Ben Shapiros. And I feel at least they're actually talking ideas and principles and debating them and, and stuff. But when you look at the majority of that group, it's the majority of them are liberals. There's not really, besides maybe like a Ben Shapiro, there's not really a whole lot of conservatives that are taking part in that kind of a conversation. How do how do we get our ideals out there? Because I feel like what's happening is, like like you're saying, we need to get it out there. But practically speaking, what what do what do we do as you know whether it's pastors or Christians or just conservatives in general? Like how how do we participate in that kind of conversation? So I think it's a little bit, it seems like a daunting task, and it is if we look at it from the perspective of what we're doing on a day-to-day basis today. But if we look at it as, I guess not from a holistic perspective, more of a, if we look at it from a concentrated perspective, what do we do? You know, um, I mentioned that I saw Killing Eve, and... um, if you knew me, you'd find that to be very rare because, or very funny because I don't like to watch television um, ever. You know, uh, I don't keep up with shows anymore. I used to. I never watched sports. You know, I could tell you, I could tell you the starting lineup of of every team that played uh, in the in Major League Baseball in 1987. I could probably t- tell you the the exact starting lineup <laughs> from uh, from one down to nine, at least in the National League. Yeah. Um, not so much the American League, but but you know, I used to be obsessive. I used to go to to games. I used to watch watch the NFL all the time. Um, but I don't anymore. And it's not just because I you know I don't find them find it interesting. I do. I you know I've been uh, staying here while my aunt's on vacation. I've been staying here taking care of my mother at uh, my aunt's house. And they had the NBA playoffs on yesterday. And, yeah, I mean, I had to stop and watch for a little bit. I'm just standing there hovering because I don't normally watch. But I still – I used to. Yeah. Right now, my time is spent on faith, family, and getting out these messages. You know, that's it. I'm I'm not a, a guy who, who doesn't love fun. I'm not somebody who, who, doesn't, uh, who doesn't enjoy sports or entertainment or, or whatever. But me and my wife have decided we just don't have the time. You know, there's too much to do. And I think that if more of us use what we have available, whether that's talking to people, whether that's using social media, writing articles, making videos, doing podcasts, getting the word out there, it's our responsibility to do that. And I'm not saying anybody can do it perfectly. You know, I still do go see movies from time to time. I saw Avengers Endgame. (laughs) 
yeah, I, I, I didn't, I didn't uh, hold back that much, but I did go to see that. But we have to stop. You know, when I see all these people that have, that are uh, out there pushing, pushing for um, whether it's a Christian message, a conservative message, or both, and then I see them, and, and no offense to anybody who does this, I don't know if you do it, Jeff, but when I see all this, this. Uh, hours-long tweets about Game of Thrones final season. I think to myself, here's here's eight hours or uh, eight seasons of a show that admittedly is just violence and sex and rape and and uh, anti-Christian culture, you know, all in one. And, you know, it's just entertainment. Well, it's entertainment that has engulfed the time of so many people across America. And, and I can tell by Twitter that it's engulfed a lot of people that I frankly wouldn't have expected. We need to stop. As long as we're still pushing forward with trying to get out the, the word, trying to get out the message, but not really, you know, still participating so much in this world, we're never going to be able to get that message out to the right people. We're not going to be able to fulfill the Great Commission. We're not going to be able to be what God wants us individually to be. So I'm not ready to say that the, the uh, um, intellectual dark web is the answer because because. We don't need leaders. We need the individuals to, to rise up. Yeah. We don't need. We don't need. Um, yeah, and I, don't get me wrong. I, I, I have seen a little bit of Joe Rogan, um, plenty of Ben Shapiro. You know, um, I've, I've tried to follow Jordan Peterson. You know, all those guys. They're not the answer, and any you know group of four, three, five, eight, nine, twelve. Um, conservatives, Christians, getting together and, and uh, leading people, they're not the answer either. It means that it, it comes down to the people themselves. God has put us at a time when anyone, any human being who has access to the internet or access to, to be able to walk to talk to somebody can share the gospel. You know, well, when I say anybody, there's places where it can't happen. Mm-hmm. But at least anybody here in America can share the gospel when they want to, for now. They can talk about, you know, the, the problems with, with, socialism or the green new deal to anyone at least for now they can do this or they can go online and they can they can share they can spread until everybody who is active and wanting to take part of this is busy doing that work and not tweeting about about game of thrones um that's when i'll say okay so let's come up with a plan but until then there's plenty of work to be done just within ourselves and and myself definitely included in that group yeah, that's that's really true, and I and I think also because like I've I've never had any interest in watching Game of Thrones. It's just like good. I was so scared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my god. Yeah, hey, I had to let you squirm a little bit, but <laughs> this is going to get edited out. Yeah. <laughs> but but see, but what's interesting to me is I had in one one of my podcasts I had I had on a guy named Ian Giotti, and he and I have been pretty have become pretty cool, pretty good friends. Um, he he grew up. He was he was a child actor. And part of our conversation that we had was talking about how virtually everything in Hollywood and everything in the media is propaganda and it's used to reinforce their ideals on you. That goes for Game of Thrones. That goes for movies. It goes for entertainment. They're what they're in the way that I put that is for two hours as you're watching, let's say Game of Thrones, you're watching a movie, you're having to assume that their subtext and their belief system is true in order to make the story work. So you're basically having to adopt a liberal mindset for two hours in order to make the movie make sense. And if you're doing that over and over and over again, if you're watching television six hours a day like a lot of Americans do, I mean, 
at at a certain point, it's going to carry over into your everyday life, which I think is to a certain degree why we do have a lot of compromise both within Christianity and within even the Republican Party to a certain degree is because everybody's constantly being reinforced liberal ideals and we're, we're becoming more receptive to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm totally not a Game of Thrones, <laughs> Game of Thrones kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. So, well, so, so, so I think that, like you were saying, I, I think that one of the keys I think is to be having more conversations, get more ideas out there in kind of what, whatever capacity we can. Um, now what, what venues do you feel like you could either recommend or would be good outlets for people to be following within, within this? Cause most people are like, well, Fox news, but Fox news has been kind of going off, going off the deep end. You know, what, what's the solution? So first and foremost, I do believe in people rather than venues per se. Um, when people say Fox News is bad, Fox News is great. No, they're both wrong. So there's certain people at Fox News that I think do well and tell the truth. There's other people who don't. You know, same can be said at uh, you know, the, there's a lot of buzz lately about One American News. It's a, you know, all of a sudden now that that uh, President Trump has been tweeting about them. Um, you know, I've had had some Twitter conversations with with a couple of people over there. They do seem like very very great people. But I've also found stuff on there that it's like, whoa, you know, what a, what is this? So you ask for venues, I say look for people. Yeah. Um, don't don't take everything, you know, not everything at Breitbart is good and not everything at Breitbart is bad. Not everything at Knock Report is good and <laughs> not everything at Knock Report is bad. I'll admit it, you know, I don't hold the writers back. I'll disagree with them many times. But I'll still publish what they post, mm-hmm. um, as long as it's not, you know, bigoted or, or anything like that. There's, I've, I've actually held back two articles. This has been, been the site's been live for for nearly two years. I've held back two articles total so far, and um, both of them were for reasons that, you know, that were were good. Um, when I say good, I mean that there were reasons that they were they should have been held back. Mm-hmm. There's other articles that maybe maybe should have been held back that I didn't. So, um, you know, when I say, yeah, read Knock Report, I don't expect anybody to read it and, and fall in love with, with everybody that writes here. But I will say this, that generally speaking, when you find a, whether it's a news producer or a news anchor or a writer or a podcaster, when you can find somebody that if you can agree with them 80 or 90% of the time, stick with them. You know, it doesn't matter what venue they're on. doesn't matter what... You know, if, if they're speaking to you in that regard, then then great. You'd ask for, for venues. I think you're also talking from a social media perspective. This is the, the big conundrum. You know, on one hand, you know, Twitter and Facebook evil, you know, Google evil. Um, on the other hand, Twitter and Facebook and Google huge. Mm-hmm. You know, what do we do? How do we how do we get around this? We, we fell into a trap. OK, we helped build these platforms up and YouTube as well. We conservatives and Christians helped to build this platform up to the point to where now they are not monopolies, but they might as well be. You know, I've looked at at Twitter clones. I've looked at at other Facebooks, conservative Facebooks or free speech Facebooks. You know, I use DuckDuckGo <laughs> as my mm-hmm. search engine, but I also know that if you want to speak to people, the masses, if you want to reach the masses, 
you have to play that game. So now we're all stuck in a catch-22 because the hammer is coming down and it's going to keep coming down. I don't care how much we expose it. We, we walked into a trap. And when I say we, um, me first and foremost, I didn't see it coming until literally the last couple of days realizing, oh, my gosh, you know, we are all such fools. We, we made Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube our platforms. We rely on Google. And now, in preparation for the 2020 election, they're going to systematically take us down. So I am, just like a lot of people, I am desperately, quickly, you know, looking for what is the alternative. Where do we go from here? You know, um, Mac Report relies very, very much on Google, Facebook, Twitter. <laughs> you know, does it get some some traffic from you know Gab or or Vote? You know, it's a free free speech version of Reddit. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, does it have? Does it get? But, but the bulk of the traffic does come from the the three big ones. You know, I mean, we get tons of search traffic from Google. If Google ever decided to to that they don't want to uh, link to us anymore, we'd be in trouble. We have not built up the proper defenses. We don't have the alternative, and I don't have a, a humongous email list or a, a uh, great following to, to fall back on. In many ways, we are beholden. Now, with that said, you know, by the grace of God, I will not stop posting what we post. If Google doesn't like it and if they say, you know, sorry, this isn't going to work, you know, so be it. Um, we'll find another way. Mm-hmm. You know, Facebook, right now we get a lot of traffic from Facebook. If they do to us what they did to Infowars and, and those other places, yeah, that hurts. We'll figure out a way. You know, Twitter, frankly, I, I say that Twitter's the big one. Twitter's not as big. Twitter is very sporadic yeah. with the traffic they send. But because the president has his platform there, the people or the, the I don't know who it is, whether it's Jack or whoever over at Twitter, they're really starting to... to come down on conservatives on republicans and that is um that is scary so i think within a within the next couple of weeks i'll do research i will put everything i can into figuring out if is there an alternative and if there's not then very similar to the conclusion that we came i came to with the republican party if we can't go out of it then we have to fix it from within and if that means you know going down a road of, of pushing for free speech laws that's that's a huge mistake, but I can understand why people would go down that road. If they want to take away the platform protections for these for these sites, that's a, a humongous mistake. But I can understand why people would want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, long story short, is Jeff got no idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like that. That you know, that's my thing. Is that I I really built up you know like my website with the gatekeepers and that sort of thing on Twitter. Like that's that's where all of our traffic's been, and then. As I'm following a lot of this, a lot of this back and forth with like, you know, I watch the podcast with Jack and Joe Rogan and then uh, with Tim Poole and like all those guys. And and it it started making me think, I'm like, okay, they don't even realize that how biased they are. Like literally they were getting asked questions and Jack just had like this deer in a headlight look like, oh, that's biased. And he just had no idea. And so that's when I started thinking, okay. We need to, you know, start getting out into different platforms and not just relying on the one. So that's kind of been slowly my strategy is building up the email list, spreading out amongst the social media platforms and that sort of thing. I mean, 
it sucks that you have to do it, but at the same time, it's like I don't I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I've checked out Gab, I've checked out the others, and it's just like, you know, it, we can't completely leave the conversation either. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think we're going to uh, <clears throat> like I said, they they walked us into a trap in many ways. Um, was it planned? I don't know. Again, I I keep referring to Ephesians six twelve. Um, if it was a plan, it was a plan that they didn't even know about, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that. I don't think that it's too coordinated, too too perfect for this to not have uh, – if it if it's inadvertent, if it's just you know coincidence, and, and it could be. Right, coincidence is the wrong word. If it's um, fortuitous that it's happening right before the 2020 election, maybe they're all just feeling, feeling the pain that you know, they felt they didn't do enough in 2016 to, to sway the – sway the uh, election so now they're going to correct the the problem in 2020 if that's their you know unified but not conspiratorial perspective so be it um i think there's a chance that it is you know more supernatural but that's that's not the topic for today uh (laughs) um but so yes we're in this trap so the question is how do we fix it or where do we move to and i don't want to to um lead people down the wrong path as far as my perspective, what my plan is so far is very similar to yours, diversify, but also not give up. I don't want to give up the ground. You know, uh, who was it? Somebody today even tweeted, um, oh, goodness, it was, I should have saved it. It was a great tweet. I don't even think I retweeted it because I was uh, – anyway, uh, basically, you know, ah, it was um, Colonel Manis mm-hmm. said, you know, people are asking why – if if I don't if I hate Twitter so much, why do I uh, why don't I leave? You know, it's because why should I leave? They're the oppressors. Um, you know, just because I'm being basically attacked, just because just because we're being vilified on this platform and oppressed, doesn't mean that we should be the ones that are giving up, that are backing down. Um, so I'm going to take a very similar approach with Twitter and try to continue to expose them and Facebook and Google. And um, and YouTube, you know, all the various platforms, pa- Patreon. It's funny. As soon as I got on Patreon, I immediately left because because uh, I realized, wow, this uh, there is a, a a lean here. There seems to be a lean everywhere. Yeah. So, you know, um, we helped make this mess. They caught us by surprise. Maybe some people saw it coming. Maybe some didn't. I didn't. You know, I always I I figured out there's always going to be protections. You know, they wouldn't be so blatant. Oh crap <laughs> they're being blatant oh my gosh they don't even realize it like right. you said yeah. you know holy cow how does he not know that that's oh gosh what's happening <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah well you know i was gonna i was gonna ask you too because i know uh a lot a lot of my focus like i've said before is on things that are happening within the church and within evangelicalism and a lot mm-hmm. of these progressives ideal pro- progressive ideals have been infiltrating the church Whereas the evangelicals, it used to be we were unified around like conservative principles, at least in theory. Um, but now we've got it to where we've got organizations like the Gospel Coalition and uh, this, even the Southern Baptist Convention that are pushing like racial reparations and, you know, intersectionality and all these different leftist progressive ideals. I mean, what what's how, how do we even deal with these principles? But within the church because on one hand we're taking on the democrats but then now we're having to take on our own essentially like do we take on do we take the same strategy no and that's the 
you know, that's the remember earlier I said I love I love debating an atheist. I hate debating a Christian. You know, I love debating a uh, a uh, leftist. I hate debating a conservative. It's not because um, it's not because I'm, I'm worried that I'll do damage within. You know, you don't want the battles to be in your own house. That's there's that's some there's that's somewhat true. It's that we've grown both as Christians and conservatives in the modern era to be able to justify things that are unjustifiable. And I'm not saying that they're just that when I say that, that we have grown to justify them, what I'm saying is that you know, they can make, you can, you can get a very, um, a very articulate, um, Christian, you know, say pastor with a great reputation who has come up with a killer sermon that justifies, you know, what, any of these leftist principles. I mean, and they can sit up there and they can, they can deliver it in a way because they have the backing of the media. They have the backing of, of ideas that have already been put out there through the secular world. And so somebody who, who 10 years ago might have been against gay marriage, for example, um, you know, somebody like that who is now in favor of gay marriage, they have the backing. You know, if they had said, if they had said, look, we're going to start doing gay marriages here at this church, if they'd said that 10 years ago, they might have lost half their flock. Right. You see, today, their flock might grow. And probably would, mm-hmm. you know, because the secular world has infiltrated the the religious world. It's funny, you know, people people have such a short memory when it comes to almost everything. And I'm when I say people, I'm, I'm a person too. <laughs> Let's be clear about that. Yeah, <laughs> I have a short memory as well. Thankfully, there's the internet to remind me of things yes. uh, from time to time. But <clears throat> you know, people have a very short memory when they when they look at, for example, President Obama. Uh, President Obama ran as did Hillary Clinton both ran on marriage being between a man and a woman you know in 2008 we're not talking about about some uh, random clip from the 90s okay this was this was 11 years ago when they were running on platforms that that were against gay marriage you know California California passed a you know, of all places passed um, a bill banning gay marriage back in uh, was it, uh, 07, 08 yeah something like that yeah you know, um, if you were to run the exact same bill today, it would get shot down. You know, you'd get maybe 12 percent. OK, mm-hmm. um, the secular world has crept in to the religious world. And you ask, how do you fight that? How do you combat that? I go back to the church has been uh, infiltrated and infested with secular ideas. And that's the only way that we can actually have the conversation anymore. It has to be framed within these popular ideas, whether it's gay marriage, regardless of what it is. I say we have to go back to the concept of the hypodermic needle. You know, stay true, stay faithful to the gospel, read the Bible, and push what the Bible says. Now, what you heard some random uh, YouTubers say, oh, well, the Bible could technically say that, that cross-dressing is... <laughs> no. <laughs> the Bible does not permit things. It... it Basically, think of it like this: if if the Bible has always or has never you know, allegedly permitted something for you know the last um, two thousand, three thousand, four thousand years, then it, the Bible didn't change in the last five years. Okay, right. Right. Uh, if something was wrong in two thousand eight, it's still wrong today. If it was wrong in two thousand twelve, it's still wrong today. You know, there was no no edits done to the Bible since, uh, since 2015, there's whether it's a new interpretation or whatever that says, Oh no, now it's okay to do this, that or the other. No, 
it's not. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. Well, that, that's the that's the important thing is that I think we we need to hold fast to the Bible, biblical principles, what the Bible teaches. We have to understand what it means in order to be able to convey that. Um, but then I, I guess the question then is. When we're looking at it from a political standpoint, are we implementing our biblical morals into the political system, or are we taking a more libertarian approach where we're basically promoting freedom and then we can kind of make our own decisions from there? How should Christians be looking at how do we vote and how do we push for things within the political system? Sure. So anytime you you mix religion and politics, and I'm a firm believer that you should. You know, people say the, you know, the separation of church and state, that was always a design to protect the church from the state. Right. Um, and it's, it's not something where there's no prohibition to allowing religious thought into your political perspectives. So um, you know, there is there's a mindset that says, look, we push politically for the conditions by which we can practice our faith, or do we push for do we push our faith into our policies politically? That's essentially what you're asking. Mm-hmm. And there's you can't, well, you could, but I would not recommend having a set um, a set stance on that uh, outside of uh, situational. Mm-hmm. In other words, you have to take the circumstance one by one. Do I think that that um, you know there is a a very valid faith-based reason to uh, to ban abortions? Absolutely. I think that that's, that's firm. Do I think that there is a very valid, at least a, a good argument for keeping faith completely out of the abortion argument and taking a libertarian perspective on abortion? You know, as, as long as there's a federalist perspective to it, in other words, if, as long as, you know, I've, I've heard the, the concept that, look, Let's just keep out of healthcare altogether and let it be between, you know, let, let the healthcare providers do what they want, let the mothers do what they want, um, you know, and then we'll, we'll sort out the religious aspect of it outside of the policy. I can see that being a being an argument. I would just wholeheartedly disagree on that perspective. But then there's others where it's like, you know what, let's keep – let's let faith as an individual – drive what that person feels versus instead of allowing it to to be basically dictated through policy dictated through law um i hate to sound wishy-washy but but there is no there's no libertarian right is and conservative wrong or, or republican wrong um or vice versa it really does have to you have to look at it individually and you as an individual as a person has to come to the conclusion where does my where does my moral compass point to and where does my adherence to the constitutional values, where do they point to? But no matter what, you have to let the Bible guide you. You have to let the Holy Spirit guide you because we can't, you know, the, the whole idea of there should be no perspectives in, in government, in policies, in politics, it's just wrong. Um, I, I would debate anybody who says keep religion out of your political views because if you have political views outside of religion, then either you're not really religious, whether you're a Christian, Muslim, whatever, you're not really adhering to your faith properly, or you're not really being political. But you can't, you, you can't have it both ways. You can't say, "Look, I'm, I, uh, I eat my dinner um, on a plate, but I also eat it on the floor." <laughs> it's a terrible analogy, but it's it's one that's been uh, 
been told to me before. Yeah, yeah, that that, that it make it makes perfect sense to me. So, well, um, as as we're kind of wrapping up a little bit, I one one of the things that I did also want to ask you is as we're moving forward, we're heading into like this next kind of presidential election cycle and that sort of thing. As as Christians, I feel like there's still some hesitancy of dealing with okay, who are we going to vote for and how are we going to decide who we're going to vote for in this election because i mean you've got the democrats that are just in my opinion insane over here with a lot of their ideals and the things they're pushing that just literally make absolutely no sense and then you've got a lot of conservative and conservatives and christians that have a lot of problems with trump especially on more of the moral issues and his him as a person and that sort of thing so when we're looking at are we just voting for the lesser of two evils are we looking at forget the personality vote for the principles like how should we as conservatives and Christians be looking to vote in this next presidential election cycle? The, and this is, there's, there's a lot of times there's opinions and there's facts. Mm-hmm. I'm going to state this quote unquote opinion as a fact. Mm-hmm. No matter what I say, no matter what, what Jeff says, no matter what any human being ever tells you, you have to vote from a conscience perspective. And that means that doesn't mean that oh well, so is he saying like vote your conscience like Ted Cruz did at the at the convention? No. What I'm saying is I did not vote for Trump in twenty sixteen. But chances are I'm gonna vote for him in twenty twenty because I mean they are insane. Yeah. The the Democrats. You could say, Well, Biden's not insane, okay. Well Biden's trying to be insane. You know, this is the sad state of the Democratic Party is that is that Joe Biden who had a who who basically has has a very electable history, you know his his uh, his resume is very electable. He's in the process of trying to to chop that history up. There was a Politifact had to go through and say, no, you weren't very considered a liberal. Because <laughs> he's been saying, yeah, I was one of the most liberal senators. Um, no, you weren't, and yeah. stop saying it because because you were you were not even close to that. Well, but he's trying his best to to push himself to the left. His policies, mm-hmm. and that should terrify every American. Because when you have somebody who, who number one, probably could be Trump if he stuck to his guns, um, but feels that he couldn't even get nominated in today's Democratic Party, that is scary. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> I mean, some of these guys, some of these pr- proposals are, are horrendous. So I'm going to vote for him, but I'm not going to tell anybody else to. Because I vote for him. When I say vote for him, I'm going to vote for Trump. Right. Um, I'm not going to tell anybody else to do that because. As a Christian, as somebody who does recognize the just absolute clear as day flaws of this this man, you know, um, I cannot say, look, you should vote for Trump because of the border, because of taxes, because of you know this, that, or the other. I can't look at somebody in the eye and say that, and, and I shouldn't have to, and nobody should. You have to make the decision. You know, you say, is it is it a, a binary choice? Is it the lesser of two evils? That is up to each individual. Because I want to play to you a, a quick scenario. Mm-hmm. You know, Hillary Clinton was terrible. Okay, I think she would have been a, a, an absolutely, absolutely awful president. And people, a lot of times, a lot of people voted for Trump for the sake of keeping Hillary out of office. Okay, great. You know, I can understand that. Um, but what what if that didn't happen? Okay, what if what if Hillary had won? And then she came through with a Republican Congress, Republican Senate. She came through, didn't do much because she couldn't do much because, you know, basically without without Congress, um, you know, there's not a whole lot that she can do except for executive orders, which are not permanent. 
she has a terrible presidency, and then in 2020, you know, a a strong evangelical uh, comes forth and runs and um, and wins, you know, in a landslide, and is president for the next eight years and does some wonderful things. If given that scenario back in 2016, if if, if somebody had the the choice, you know, evangelicals were given that choice, do we take Trump um, uh, now for four years and then? And then uh, Kamala Harris or, or Beto O'Rourke for eight years after that? Or do we take Hillary for four years and take, you know, some somebody else, so a good Republican for, for eight years after that? We don't get to decide. And this is the this is why I say I won't tell somebody to vote for this person or that for person or to, to, to strictly vote their conscience. Because as long as people are voting their conscience, then at least they're happy with their vote. I personally think, you know, I go by what the Bible says. And whoever's chosen is chosen for a reason, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's whether it's Saul or Obama or you know, whether whether they're being uh, we're being persecuted by uh, by uh, Pete Buttigieg or, or Nebuchadnezzar. It doesn't matter. This is God's choice. Mm-hmm. So as long as we're OK with our vote and as long as it doesn't doesn't affect us in a negative way, that's all I pray for. Definitely. Well, I, I, I totally agree with you. And, uh, I, th- I think that's a, that's a good way to, uh, explain that to people as, as, as they're kind of thinking through, okay, how, how are we going to deal with this insanity of the next year and a half of <laughs> going through the election cycle? So, well, okay. So I <laughs> <Spice> don't, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. So, so how can, how can people follow you and, you know, keep up with everything that's, that's going on with you and knock report and all, and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Well, on Twitter, I'm JD Rucker, mm-hmm. uh, J R U C K E R on Twitter. Um, or Knock Report, N-O-Q-R-E-P-O-R-T, and, uh, of course, KnockReport.com. And that gets people N-O-Q. What is N-O-Q? You're trying to spell Knock? It's it's supposed to be news, opinions, and quotes. Um, that was the whole premise. It wasn't my idea. But uh, we rolled with it. Yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, they can go to those two places. That's the best place. Yeah, I, I use Facebook sporadically. Um, I use other social media sites. But for the most part, I'm on Twitter or Knock Report 24-7. Perfect. Sounds good. I, I really appreciate you coming on. I'm glad we could uh, sit down and talk through this. It was a fun conversation and hope we can do it again sometime. Absolutely, Jeff. Thank you. Definitely. Thank you. Holidays are a moment of togetherness and joy, and a reminder of how tradition creates happy and fulfilled communities. Make this holiday season patriotic with a visit to National Harbor and its stunning new Spirit Park. Marvel at one of the largest American flags in the region and beautiful displays of American art. Make this holiday season the most meaningful of all at National Harbor. Learn more at nationalharbor.com/spiritpark. HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. 
people who are not HIV positive who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm going to do this to protect myself. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about PrEP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforyoumc.org.